But I think you have to add sprint modalities into, you have to, you have to rotate sprint modalities. I use uphill sprinting on grass. I use downhill sprinting. I use sleds. I use ankle weights. There's a, there's a company called Lila Movement Technology. They yep. have uh, weighted sleeves and stuff like that. That stuff is phenomenal. And I use, I use combinations. I choose ankle weights, weight vests, uphill, downhill. But we have to regular sprint probably 15, 20% of the time because we use a lot of contrasting. But that's how you hack the code of the body. I think, I think the body, mm-hmm. the body's scared to go faster. It's, yep. it's homeostasis trying to go, it's trying to stay normal. It's not, it hates change. That was Brandon Bird, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Before we get to the show today, I wanted to mention a really cool item that is available now from our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, in their store. That item is Exogen Premium Wearable Resistance. Exogen is a series of tight fitting sleeves along with uniquely shaped fusiform weights that strap directly onto those sleeves. So what I mean is you can have shin sleeves, arm sleeves, shorts, and a vest, and you can strap these uniquely fusiform-shaped weights, they're light in nature, 100, 200 grams, that strap on in a way that allows you not only to resist movement very specifically, but also add fine-tuned elements of rotation to that resistance. So this is the next level of wearable resistance. You may have heard this from back long ago on the show, Hank Kreienhoff talking about it, to recently Chris Corfis, sprint coach, talking about it. This is the next level in premium wearable resistance. I've used it myself. I love it. I love not only the way it feels and the way you feel form and technique change. It's like combining technique with power. And so often we just think about weighted vests as just pure force, pure downward gravity loaded resistance. This is the ultimate combination of technique with power, and it shows up in things like Chris Corfis being able to take time off an athlete's 10-meter fly by putting the sleeves just on one side of the body, an ipsilateral resistance. We're using the body's own systems, fine-tuning it, and that's what this does. It allows you as the coach or an athlete to create, explore, and fine-tune the way that the resistance is rotationally impacting the body. This is next level stuff, and I know you'll love it. So you can check that out in the Simply Faster store. Head on over to simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com, and get your exogen gear today. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another show. So it's always good to sit down and just do nuts and bolts talks on getting athletes faster, stronger, more powerful, and more prepared for their sport. Today's show is really the epitome in so many ways of, of just that. Our guest is Brandon Bird. He is the owner of Bird Sports Performance in Orfield, Pennsylvania. He's an alumni of the University of Pittsburgh and has learned from elite coaches such as Louis Simmons, Charlie Francis, Buddy Morris, and many others. Brandon has a unique blend of rotating training stimulus that gets serious results. As you just heard on the teaser, he has a rotating system of sprints, lifts, jumps, a continual PR system that gets serious results for his athletes. The guy's just a monster in in getting outputs. Uh, works with a lot of athletes of all sports, as well as a lot of track athletes. You may have watched his social media videos of his athletes just crushing it with sprints and jumps and, and continually improving. So, of course, we we got to chat. We got to get this talk in, Brandon and I. I always love putting out there what great coaches are doing. This is an awesome uh, nuts and bolts show. Lots of great things that you'll be able to uh, right away take from the show. 
And if you listen to the end, you will hear what I personally am doing as an athlete still at the age of 37 as a result of talking to Brandon. So excited to get you guys this show. Let's get on to it. Oh, one more thing. I almost forgot. So Brandon's going to talk about fly tens in the course of this show. And he's talking about yards, not meters. So when you hear these crazy fast fly 10 times, they are still crazy fast, but they're not like world-class going to the Olympics fast. Not yet, at least. <laughs> so just just uh, to distinguish that when you hear these times and if you're familiar to meters, fly 10s and, and all that business. So anyways, uh, excited to get you guys to show with a great coach. Let's get on to it. Episode 226 with Brandon Bird. Hey, Brandon, welcome to the show. I'm glad I, have, I'm glad I can have you on today. Oh, thanks a lot, man. I love the show, and I've been—I yeah, listen to it all the time. I've been said, man, I'd love to be on there one day. Yeah, yeah, and no, I know you're always posting videos of people who are just setting speed PRs left and right, and you know you've been in this game for a little while. And let's start by tell me a little bit about your coaching journey, specifically in regards to who have been like the big rocks and mentors you've had over the years in developing your system in speed and athletic power and explosiveness. Yep. Yeah, so I went to the University of Pittsburgh. And I played football there and ran track one year. And the first guy I met, like met Coach Harris was the first guy I met. And the second guy I met was Buddy Morris. And Coach Harris goes, you're going to be Buddy Morris a lot more than me. And he's great. And I, I said, wow. You know, and little I didn't know, he's this amazing, you know, power speed guy. He's no, he's met all the top coaches in the world. And after I, after I got done, I kind of like dissected his program. I, I talked with him and. He introduced me to Louis Simmons at Westside Barbell. And Buddy Morris, at, what, during the summers or the springs, he'd bring Charlie Francis down from Canada to train us. So like, I actually got to work with Buddy Morris, Louis Simmons, and Charlie Francis at the same time. I said, I might as I met the, I said, after, after college, I met all these great guys. I think I could apply this and help some kids. I actually walked on. I think if I, I said, if I had, I knew what I knew now in, in high school, I could get scholarship and get kids scholarships. So I said, let me apply this to high, to the high school level in the private sector. And that's what I've started doing. And along the way, I met a guy like Dick Hartzell, who's a mobility genius and a rehab genius. And I met um, Bonnie Thompson. And uh, like, those are my rocks right there, you know. So I kind of just branched off. and Those are my, that's where I first started. And, and uh, that's recently, there's a guy, great guy, you got to have on the show, Derek Bindi. He's an amazing trainer out of, out of Peachtree, Georgia. He's kind of added some wrinkles in there for me. but. Those are my rocks right there. You know, I kind of, I've kind of just branched off from those and and, diet, and reverse engineered and kind of applied their systems and integrated into my system. And it's, it's helped me create some great power speed athletes. I felt, um, did Louis Simmons have a role in the system you've created at all? Oh, huge, huge, huge. When I met him, it was like the matrix, you know, it was kind of, I plugged in, I got, <laughs> I got a, just a, a burst of knowledge. And I said, basically, he's met all the Russians. Everything is everything is old. It's just mm-hmm. people forgot how to use it. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> the Russians had scientists. They tra- they used it for track and field. And I I talked to the Dr. Yeses. Ta- I met him too. But Louis Simmons is he took he took some of those the great track and field guys. Yuri Verkashansky. There's special strengths. Well, Louis basically controls, and it, he his run is his run is guys, but he's he controls. Most of the force velocity curve, because there's there's lifting and and there's speed strength, spring speed as your book is called, and and there's explosive power. So he knows how to develop that better than anybody ever seen. So once you can control that, 
that part of the, the whole, maybe 90% of the force velocity curve, you can make great athletes. So he taught me that there's different strengths, there's different strengths and you got to train all these strengths. And once you train all these strengths, you have a superior athlete. So as per our previous conversations about your system, I think about Louis's ideals a lot. So could you explain, at least with like setting PRs regularly and that type of idea? Well, Where does that I, fit? I think I t- when I first met Louis, I went there a couple of times and I called him like once a week. And I think he's probably annoyed, but, <laughs> but, I, but it's, it's simple, but it's very complicated. But the thing I, I think I take from it is every week in my system, in his system, I got to know how strong you are. And I know I didn't know how fast you are and I didn't know your weaknesses because the creating the best power speed athlete, it's all about, and Buddy Morris says this, and every, every top staff coach says this, it's about the best athletes create the most force in the shortest amount of time in the right biomechanical positions. So how do you increase force production? You get stronger. How do you uh, shorten the time that you use that force? That's rate of force production. That's dynamic effort, which is west side. And then, and then, and then you're, and uh, also um, that comes from uh, science, science practice, strength training as well. Vladimir um, Lazorski, and then fixing your weaknesses is a repetition method. So max effort is increasing your force, and then the ability to shorten that rate of time, use that force is dynamic effort. So that is that's that's a, that's a, that's why I think that all those three methods must be used in your training. You got to fix those weaknesses every week. And that's why I do it. If I see a kid sprinting and I can just see their limbs aren't moving fast enough, there's, there's no elasticity. They, they have some weaknesses in their muscles. The repetition method will fix that. And then also they're not moving that fastly. That's the rate of, rate of force isn't good. The diamond equilibrium will fix that. And then they're not putting a lot of power in the, in the ground for jumping or sprinting or swinging a baseball bat, throwing. They need to, be, they need to get stronger. This, those three things... There's no way around about it. It's just amount, the right exercise you need to choose to fix those three things. And you'll have a great athlete. And then those sticking points, that those biomechanical weaknesses, you fix those, you'll have fixes the speed all the time, the jumping ability all the time, the things you see in sports. Yeah, so with that, that might be, a, before I get into how you rotate your exercises and, and you know, are seeking PRs a lot, which is kind of like a huge crux of what I wanted to chat with you about in terms of results you get that is interesting with the where i think about the west side you have the max effort dynamic effort but then the repetition days which are i guess you could call like a little bit of a work capacity and antivirus but also to with the purpose of bringing up weak muscle groups to improve technique so i think we many people might be familiar with the powerlifting version of that where i don't know if your hamstrings are weak you do a bunch of reverse you know glute ham raises or something like that you know tons of volume in the weak muscle group how does this work with an athlete who is not sprinting well. I'm sure there's lots of ways, right? But what are some of your key ideas? An athlete has XYZ wrong with them. What are some key things? Uh, Because I'll say this too, I don't want to get carried away with my rambling, but I think a lot of people, a lot of schools of thought would say, well, just fix it technically in the sprint versus, well, let's bring up some underlying strength qualities and then just go sprint and compete. Those schools of thought. Hope I'm not overcomplicating this. Anyways, could you clarify? <laughs> I, I always overcomplicate stuff. Could you just clarify that a little bit with how that shows up in a sprint system? And my idea of doing athletes, I test them in both. I think I, there's just like the functional movement screen. I don't think that's a great thing. But because when you're sitting there statically and you're not under a high, high forces or high loads, you're gonna, everybody's going to look great. But once you put them at high speeds and they're high forces and sprinting, 
and you put them in high, and under heavy loads of lifting, you're going to see some weaknesses. And I believe your technique in sprinting and lifting is it's determined by your weaknesses, by the mm-hmm. by the by the elasticity of your tendons, the fast switch fibers you have, the nervous system you have. Once you fix their weaknesses, it actually easier. It's easier to, to me to fix technique. And, and it's if you have bad mobility, that's going to limit your sprinting. You have you, you don't have your nervous system is dull. It's not working quickly quick enough. That's going to affect your technique. You've got poor ranges of motions. You you're just not you're just not strong. Like a weaker sprinter, they're going to need to have a longer ground talk, ground contact time because. They their limbs can't move fast enough. They need to have to strike. They have to strike the ground at more in front of their center of mass to push more and have more backside mechanics because they don't. They're not as powerful, and that goes to me. Once you get stronger, then you can create more force. Then you can. Then you'll need to step out in front and, and use more backside mechanics. You can have less ground contact time and less breaking forces, and you'll have a short, a more, more a more foot contact, more beneath the center of mass. That's all fixable by the strength, stronger hamstrings, hips, all that type of stuff. So that's how that's how I look at it. Again, again, everybody, every in a sprint, the posterior chain must be developed. When that leg is in that that uh, your hip flexion, your knee, you have good knee drive, your your thighs parallel to the ground. What pulls you first is that glute. That hamstring pulls the leg down to the to the earth, your foot down to the earth, and your opposite QL. So all those three things must be strong. If you have a weakness in those three things, I've tested it for 15 years. Those athletes do not create a lot of force. They have longer ground contact times. They're slow. Their amortization phase is slow. Their jumping is just, the strength is usually the key in these athletes. Now, at the same time, sprinting makes you build strength. So you got to work it at both ends. You got to build all these strengths. And that's, that comes from, chasing and surfing the force velocity curve yeah so you said the the three areas it was hamstring ql what was the other one that you were uh glute hamstring and opposite ql those must fire explosively and fast and they all must be strong if those aren't strong when i start an athlete the first thing i do test is that ql i doing 45 degree hyper ascensions i think and i think in your book it says that those forty degree, the more loads they can handle in that forty-five degree hyperextension, they can they'll become great sprinters and jumpers. And I've tested it all the time. And my athletes come in there; they use some my weaker athletes use thirty pounds on that on the forty degree hyperextension. My great athletes they all use about a hundred in the hundreds. And right there, that exercise right there is fixing the glute opposite QL and the upper hamstring, and that's key. That there's direct correlation right there for sprinting and speed. Yeah, I, that was actually an interesting discovery I made when I was writing Speed Strength is going through some of the research and noting that strong, it was something where I think it was younger athletes, maybe like, I don't know, maybe a group that was like teenage athletes level. And they found that the the better accelerators had stronger spinal erectors. And I think SOAS actually didn't matter for acceleration in that particular study. But at, yeah. the, at the time, I mean, I was so jaded for... I think this is, I was so jaded in the sense that too much lifting, especially with poor form and extension patterning will overdevelop the spinal erectors and anterior tilt and detrain the glutes and even hamstrings a little bit, which that was my, my issue. So I was just jaded, but I guess, you know, if you're faster, if you're just fast, like someone who's just fast and never even lifted and they just have it, 
yeah, those muscles are going to be strong because it has to stabilize the pelvis to do the job. If those muscles, the spinal rector and QL, for those of you listening, QL, quadratus lumborum, basically just think low back stabilizing muscle for simplicity's sake. If those aren't strong enough, then you lose the stabilization. So like I, after that, I was like, okay, like I get it. I think for me, it was just a journey and making sure I didn't try to get that through like a low bar back squat in my own mind. Try to use, like you said, like hyperextensions and stuff that really links and stuff that has cross body potential and stuff like that to link that. And I, that makes sense to me with the, with those three and, and looking at that and making sure that's has a good integrity. In my gym, if you can't do so much on a vertebral hypersension, I can't put a bar on your back because it's, you don't have the, and your abs aren't strong. You have, you don't have the core stability mm-hmm. to handle, you know, heavy barbell lifting. Now, that being said, the people that can squat good, they are, are your best accelerators. And I clocked this. I got two football players. I had one guy, they're pretty much the same. They weigh about 210 and they weigh and they are about 5'9. The one squat is a better squatter. And his first 10, he's always quicker. And then when he fades in the last 10 was mm-hmm. 40. And I got a NFL player, about the same size, but he's not a good squatter. He's a better deadlifter. His, you know, the one the, the better squatter ran about a 1.4. Four seven in the first ten, and the better deadlifter ran a one point five six. Now, conversely, the guy, the better deadlifter in the in the final ten, he ran a point eight three, and the uh, the the other guy was the better squatter and the poor deadlifter. He ran a point a point ninety one, and he's usually he's usually in the upper nines. But that's what that's what you have to fix. You need a one to one ratio. So the, both those you can feather out and even out that whole sprint dynamic that's supposed to be a sprint profiling which i want to get a 1080s pretty soon so i can kind of do that but yeah. I, that's what i kind of look at these i study these athletes that i have i'm, I'm always every, in my system i'm always i test them the first time but i'm testing you every time i, I always must know how strong you are we test how strong every time with tendos we test your vertical leap raw jump ground contact time every time we jump and we test your sprinting splits every time we run so we i athletes they know and sometimes they're demoralized because if they had a practice which i can't take account mm-hmm. of sometimes they're not they're they're going to be they usually plateau but my athletes usually increase a little bit each time and that's what i think my goal is if i can increase you maybe a point oh a, a hundredth in a sprint each time or i may i, I increase your vertical jump point one each time or you gain two and a half pounds of strength each time it adds up over time and that's my philosophy. I want, I think, I think that's why I get frustrated by pass these kids along and they plateau or they go backwards because if I can get them to just a little bit better each time, gosh, eventually you have a good athlete. I had, I had a poor athlete. This cat was a hundred, he's a freshman, young guy, but he jumped 15 inches and he actually, he only could squat 110 pounds and he ran in a fly time. He ran a 1.39. And he improved slow. He improved maybe 0.01 every time. But now he jumps, it's been about a year. He jumps 30 inches, he went 15, 30 inches, and then he went from a 139 to a 102 fly time. And his squat went from 100 to 240. And that's, that's all about fixing his weaknesses. What was his weakness? He had poor quads and a weak glute. So I just attacked those weak glutes every week and then jumped them, kept jumping them and jumping them and spreading them, watching his technique. Make sure his ground contact was high. His posture was correct. All of a sudden, it just clicked. Even last week, he just dropped about. He dropped about from one ten to one hundred two. Wow! Just doing that. Wow! You and, know. 
I really like the emphasis on, especially just going back to what you said about the glute, the 45 glute ham and stuff like that. I think so often, and I've had a few conversations, a lot of this show is kind of heading into the exercise categorization uh, realm right now. And it's like the first thing all these coaches just want to do is just, just start squatting, just get in and squat. But it, yeah. that's not, <laughs> it's, it's the squat, yeah. the squat is my tester. It tells me what's wrong. It, it creates, it creates high, it creates force, but it also, it tells me where I need to direct. Like Dr. Yes, as I had on my podcast, he said the Russians use special exercises that were similar to the regular exercises, but a little different. And that's, that's Louis Simmons too. Yeah. To fix the main exercise. And that's how I, that's how I cure the ills of the sprinting and the jumping. Yeah. I use those special exercises, not a, not a regular squat, but something that, that helps it or 45 degree back raise that will help their spring and jumping. Yeah. All the, all the, everything is GPP for sprinting and jumping. Every, these, these S&C coaches get caught up in, they get crazy in their, their lifts, their squat. They're chasing these squat numbers, which is good. They chase these deadlifts, but those are accessories to a softball or a sprinter or a high jumper. You have to remember that. Yeah. They do this just because this is a side gig for them. This is a side hustle. <laughs> but they do it just to get better at their sport. Yeah. That's the key. Yeah, it's always <laughs> got to come back to sprinting for sure. Um, so going into uh your a little bit of your system so one of the things that really intrigues me about what you do and i'll see the the videos you post and it's not just fly tens meters or yards it's uphill fly 10 downhill fly 10 like you've taken something that i really love about what you do is you've taken that like west side like slightly alter the motor program or even bonder chuck you know throw us 18 pound hammer just slightly different instead of the 16 right just these little tweaks that are allowing your athletes to PR all the time. Could you explain yeah. like how you came, how that system kind of formed up and then what that looks like in the course of two, three, four weeks of training? Okay. That's a great question. Now, everybody knows I do conjugate system and people think the conjugate system is basically rotating intensities, exercises, and, and that's a constant rotation and people do it just lifting. One thing that stuck me with Louis Simmons, he always says this, the law of accommodation. Do the same thing for too long, you no longer can get better at. And that applies to not only lifting, it applies not only it applies to jumping too and sprinting. So that's where I come up with that idea. I think if and I was, you know, years and years ago, I would just sprint straight, flat land, on a track. And it would give good results, but I found that they would plateau. And that's the reason I think that is. When you're moving through space, again, it's sprinting is mass specific. Whoever's producing the most force, again, the shortest amount of time, and it's mass specific. After a while, your body gets used to that mass, your body weight, and no longer becomes effective. If you train with the same weight in a barbell, you no longer can get better at it. You're gonna get it's gonna get easier. And you're it's no, it has no the, the same, you know, it's five to seven times ground reaction forces in your body. So I think you have to add sprint modalities. You have to rotate sprint modalities. I use uphill sprinting on grass. I use downhill sprinting. I use sleds. I use ankle weights. There's a, there's a company called Lila Movement Technology. They yep. have uh, weighted sleeves and stuff like that. That stuff is phenomenal. And I use, I use combinations. I choose ankle weights, weight vests, uphill, downhill. We have to a regular sprint probably 15, 20% of the time because we do a lot of contrasting. 
but that's how you hack the code of the body. I think I think the body mm-hmm. the body's scared to go faster. It's, yep. it's homeostasis. It's trying to go. It's trying to stay normal. It's not. It hates change. So you have to force change by changing this modality. There's gravity. There's breaking forces. You got to work the the glutes, the hamstring. You get to work quads, hip flexors, and regular sprinting can't do all those things. So, for instance, like well, everybody starts out using loads or going uphill to work on uh, acceleration technique and proper front side mechanics. And a lot of my kids, and that, that's that's I use that because when I when my kids run for sled, it they can run as fast as they can, but the sled is slowing them down so much they get less eccentric loading. But yet the brain can think, they can think what positions they need to be in. Mm-hmm. And that sled won't move unless they're on their forefoot. I get a lot of heel strikers. Like, I mean, about 60, 75% of the kids I get because they're not track athletes, they run on their heels or flat or midfoot. So they can't run on that. They have to run forefoot on a sled. So that right there corrects their, their mechanics. They have to almost use front side mechanics when they run with this load. And that almost that ingrains form in them. And I can so I can cue them as they run this sled because it's slowing their body and they can think and make changes. Because sprinting is so high speed, it's an animal-like brain. You can't think; it's happening so fast. So after that, I kind of move into once we contrasted just the flatland sprinting, then I can the cues carry over, and then I can think what I can do. Then and then we do we go uphill. We go uphill, and I time everything too. A lot. I, we, I want to see. I, we have records for everything. We have a record for the sled. We have a record with a sled fly, or a sled in the ten. We have a record uphill. We have a record uphill with ankle weights. We have up, up uphill with a vest. We have a record downhill. We have a record flatland. We have a flatland at the fly ten, fly twenty, fly thirty. We have a flatland ten, first ten, first twenty, first thirty. We have meters. So, so we have a lot. Now, here's the thing. What, they might not break all the records. And this is a West Side thing. If they can break one of those records once or twice a month, they're happy. Yeah. You know, I have a kid that he might not get better in the first 20, but he may, he'd pray he'll get faster in the fly 510 and 520. He's happy. He may not break his record uphill, but he may break it downhill. Yeah. And when I come back to the flat sprint, he's better because I've changed it. The body is never, it never can, it, it never can adapt. And and never to adapt <laughs> makes it adapt better, I believe. So that's how I do it. I kind of rotate those. And back in the day, I used to actually do downhill right at the end, right before a championship or a combine to overspeed. And, and I believe that the hexagogy 10 complex, the body is actually in fear of, of getting hurt. So Al, you can do all the right things. You can do the right lifting. You can do the right plyometrics. You can do the right sled sprint. You can do the right speed work with maximum rest. The body might be scared to run faster. So it need to need to take away gravity so it can move faster. And it feels a nervous system can feel those high speeds. I had a girl that went from a girl that went from 26 to 200 to a 2508 in 12 weeks. We did downhill. She goes, it felt like my legs moved by themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Falling, so, falling downhill almost as a cue. I, I've heard a Darren use that. I, I just, I just yesterday I had, I have a cross country girl that does a triple jumper. And those two don't mix. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. That's a weird, super elastic. She's got to just be crazy elastic. That's the only way. So, I mean, she's a great broad jumper. So that was, she had that going for her. So she came in broad jumping uh, six feet 11. Now she jumps eight feet five. She wow. did that yesterday. And 
she has bad mechanics from just running miles and five, six, seven miles. She has four front side mechanics and she wasn't as powerful, but so I threw out the wickets. I do wickets too. I forgot to do that. I put wickets in the thing too. That's another modality. Like us, uh, like timing over wickets. Yep. I time wickets. I time 10, first 10 or time 20, 30 meter uh, yard wickets. And I find that, well, let's go back to that girl. That girl, she, she can only stride about through six foot two wickets. And I stretch it out to 6'10", it looked ugly. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it taught her how to bound and, and be elastic each step in the hit center mass hard and spring through the things. And I, ha- I put her on the down for last, I put, I put her on the down for the last four weeks. She, yesterday, and she was running a 10, she ran a 10, a 108, 106. And good, good godness, I, 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 it was raining yesterday, I couldn't go down, so I ran flatland, she ran a 106 regularly. She ran the same. She usually runs 123. Wow. There's wickets to those downhills. She ran 106 twice. It's a powerful combination. I want to talk about wickets real quick too before we get any further because I know you've mentioned front side a couple times in this show. And then I know we've had this conversation about wickets where instead of, I think we can both agree that the higher wickets are not a good thing. Like you use like just basically bars on the ground for that, right? I started to do the top side. It's first of all, (laughs) I, it was hard to find the um, the spacing. <laughs> I might call Altus. I called colleges. I called the top track by the side. I had to kind of experiment with them. But I found when I, when I he had the wickets with the hurdles up, six inch wickets. It was well. My first thoughts too. Knee drive is always isn't always front side mechanics is over bastardized. <laughs> but crazy front side mechanics is the amount of forces you apply on the ground that'll cycle the leg back around the, that. The more force you apply on the ground, the better your front side mechanics are. So people looking at it the wrong way. And I think some of the, my, my fastest runner, I've, you've probably seen her, I've posted to you, Danny Smith. She, she's a championship division two sprinter. And she got, got her down from a 110 fly to a 91 fly. And you watch her run. She don't have great front side mm-hmm. mechanics. And we put her through those six tens hurdles. It was just, it was a struggle. It, it, they just can't move smoothly. And, and her thing is she has tight hip flexors. So, but she's still powerful. So I like, I'd say, let me flip these things upside down. And what it does, athletes can't, if athletes are in fear, they can't, they can't produce force. So they're in fear of kicking these hurdles. Once you flip the hurdles upside down, they can now focus on applying force hard and getting between the barriers. And that's what you want them to do. If they're worried about the height and bring their their foot and dorsal flexing so much, that kills it. You're not going to get. It's going to take you longer to get results, and it may even slow them down. I think it slows them down a little bit. That's why I like doing the the, the hurdles upside down. There. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Chris Corfus was the first person I heard say like using like low when he would have his videos. The wickets would be like two, maybe four inches tall, and yeah. I've agreed more and more and more with that. To the point where even now it would be like, look, two inches or just the bars on the ground. Because, uh, Here's the, oh, sorry, go ahead. The thing that is crazy, me, it's amazing how good those hurdles are. I was like, oh, these are just they're working on form, but nobody times them. Mm-hmm. I never seen anybody time them, so I started timing them and testing them. So I had, I had, I did, a, I did a, like a, like a scientist would. I did a before, in the middle, and after. I had one kid I trained for years. He's a short kid. He's five five. And, you know, he goes, I ran a, I run a four five forty. Like, 
And I clocked him around the four eight, right? Mm-hmm. Clocked him in the four nine. And I clocked his 10 fly and he was a 98. Then I said, and he's I could so I could see why. He's a fat, he's a he's a fast frequency strider. Mm-hmm. I mean fast frequency, he has fast frequency, but he has a short stride. So let me just lay, I said, let me just lengthen this stride. So I laid the hurdles out there and I stood him out with 610 and I stretched him out. It looked ugly, but after a while I was timing him. So he ran a 98 normal. He ran a 111, but I got him down every week after week. He rolled it down. I got him down to a 101. He looked smooth. It looked like he was, they weren't even there. Once I got him the 101, I pulled the hurdles out. He ran an 88. Yeah, is this is this uh this is ten yard fly because you talk ten fly like, <laughs> like that's an fly. important distinction because <laughs> yeah a lot of track, a lot of track coaches in the whole entire world uses meters I I like to use yards because I want my field athletes to to compare to what they can do with my track athletes I want my whole gym to compete with each other but it comes cumbersome if I'm converting meters to yards so I can easily do it but I have a formula for it. But that's why I use yards primarily. So these times you're hearing are yard. These are yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> these are yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At point eight, you see, I could be a world class runner. Yeah, that'd be pretty but fast. It, he should be on the yeah some elite you know four by one somewhere <laughs> that or, or if we're just about. But yeah. I, I, I'd say I got a I got eleven I got eleven or twelve kids. I have a list I post every week. I got eleven or twelve kids under a nine o ten yard fly, which would probably equate to a one o. Yeah. Beautiful. That's still moving. That's still moving real fast. I, I got I got six girls that run under one oh. I got I got I got two at ninety one, I got one at ninety two and one at ninety five, one ninety four. Yeah. And that again, that would equate for that would equate to a, a one oh one, which is pretty it's not it's not blazing, but it's pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So it's it's hard to get those kids are pretty quick, but that kid was that shows how those wickets work. And they, my kids love them now. They just, they almost run better through them now. Yes. If, if it's, yeah, if it's not too high, because I, I know okay. that the thing I've learned at uh, this talking to Darian enough is that the high ones, uh, even this relates to the step over the knee cue. Cause I use that step over the knee and the high wickets religiously, basically from age 25 yeah. to early thirties. And I would always run these 10 flies and I would, no matter how hard I try those cues, I would just go slower. And I would like frustrate the heck out of myself. And Darren had said, and, and I agree, if you, every time you step over the knee, you're actually creating a breaking force because it, I think it prevents the shin from falling adequately. And so it's like you're maybe uh, getting some positive adaptation because I know the studies that have been done, I think there's a Japanese study that said using wickets as preconditioning, and I don't know how high the wickets were, but helped the back foot to get off, to be picked up faster in readiness for the next stride, I think was their adaptation. And, yeah. and then that would help feed into the sprint in a positive way, but... I find like as soon as it's too high, like that step over the knee, break, like high knee can actually become a break. And so that's where, to me, like those lowering the wickets, you get the plus of the back foot, you know, being yeah. able to feed into recovery more appropriately, whatever context that is for the athlete. But then you lose the negative of that, like high step over the knee break that you're going to get. Because yeah. I always would watch, I would always watch track sprinters um, warm up. And then a lot of times I would see this as the, the, oh, the really heavily coached ones when they would do their stride outs to come out of the blocks around 40, start slowing down. When they'd slow down, sometimes they do that step over the knee action because it probably just felt good. They've done it in their practice. This is what feels good to slow down is the step over the knee as I go. I just thought it was funny because you wouldn't think about it outright. But anyways. When I look at my film of my time wickets, you can see that recovery look faster. 
Yeah. And that's why the, t- the times actually get quicker. I, 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 could, I, could, I could notice that part of it. Yeah, you can't. It's can. almost like a boost. Yeah, it gives you like an intention to, to get the foot to the next. There's that, yes. like there's a solid intentionality that is created there. That's how you said it perfectly. There's more intent to get it there faster. Yeah, yeah. You uh, can't, you run, you're not making this segments. <laughs> yeah, so going back to the beginning too, because I want to talk about kind of like front to back and because I love, there's some really, some parts of your system that I think are so cool. And I the main one I just love is is the, the go outside, the, the groove of just normal sprinting and getting outside that thing, coming back to it. But even the, starting with the sleds and the acceleration, I think about, just like a sled and the, the, the force it has on your hips, keeping the hips back a little bit. I, I yes. love that because I think it even feeds into upright sprinting a, a, like to a degree. Yeah, it's kind of like as you flip that person in acceleration and flip their torso up to upright, there's a lot of that similar hip angle things going on. And so Absolutely. I really like that as a good starting point. I mean, you know, sleds are simple, but I, I think they're awesome. Jay Macon's probably wouldn't do them if they were great. I don't understand why most college coaches don't use them a lot. They are the best. They are so good. Yeah. Sled, sleds are amazing. <laughs> yeah it's it's so simple though it's like it's just a metal piece of metal and some weights <laughs> <laughs> but it, it it's so good it does so many things well for sprinting it's amazing it's amazing yeah. i just think i don't know why they don't use it yeah and it's uh actually, yeah I, I had a college coach actually asked me what i did what i had a girl she i had a girl, one of my best long jumpers i don't do 300 meters i don't do too much long volume on my jumpers because they're just they're the only run you know 100 that 100 feet and I just did flies and I did a lot of, I did a lot of sled with her. I don't, not that much, but you know, a little bit. And she came back and beat her 300 meter time by three seconds. And I, he goes, how did he do it? I said, I had sleds. And he goes, I'm going to start implementing it. But this guy, we've been coaching for years, you know, it's, but it, it just, I don't, they do it, but it's just, I don't know. I you get it, They need to do it a lot to get the adaptation. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's so it's, it's so self organizing too because it just gives the athlete something to work against and and it's yeah. I think it's more powerful than even a cue or an instruction you can give an athlete because it helps them to feel something to I work had against. A, my sprinter that went from a twenty six oh two to twenty five oh eight. This is interesting. Now her problem she can get out of the blocks, and I have another sprinter like that right now. She cannot. They can't accelerate good. Their acceleration is poor. And then the reason this is why their first couple of steps they're playing. I think you need to, when you come out, the you start in any sport, get apply. It's, it's definitely vertical forces, but in the beginning, it's more horizontal forces. There's a combination of both. But once you get to upright, it's more vertical forces. So what I did is I, I put a band around their waist, and I can't feel them pulling me. Those two girls, I can't feel them. They can't pull me hard enough. And that's why they can't accelerate. Now, that, that tells me there's, they're, they're running out the blocks with too much vertical forces, not of horizontal forces. And I have my, my fastest, I have a girl that can get out of the box crazy. They're just pulling me like it's like a, like a, like a pull horse. Mm-hmm. That shows they're applying force in the right direction. They can get out of the box. But that's where you can, that's where this, you can actually, I can actually feel where they're applying the, they're applying the force. That's, that's why I do a band sometimes too. Yeah. Like uh, JB Maroon would say the, the direction, the DRF or what, what direction are you applying the forces as you come, come out of the blocks or the start? And then how long can you keep them there appropriately before everything just shoots up to, to vertical, yes. I guess you could say. Yeah. So yeah, yeah sleds, yes. man. It's, uh, and, that, it's, and that's why I do different jumping. I have a different, I have a conjugate jump system because I, those different, different jumps affects different parts of sprinting. And, and, and yeah. obviously jumping, obviously. Yeah. But the horizontal jumps affect the start, I believe. And med ball throws, chest mm-hmm. med ball throws. And, you know, obviously the vertical is going to affect everything, like straight up box jumping and 
We do the jump. We now we do the just jump mat, and you need reactive stuff like bounding and hurdle hops. Those are all valuable things. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, I think people pure they long term block those things. So if I just do if I just do broad jumps and chest med ball throws for a month, and then I go to just vertical stuff, and then I go to reactive depth jumps and hurdle hops, I lose the qualities I, I lost in the beginning of just doing the horizontal stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a rotation in my jumps as well because that so I'm building all those qualities at the same time, and it's just variations. It's called conjugate. Like there's ways to do a broad jump. We we do a standing broad jump. We do a weighted broad jump. We do a seated box broad jump. We do a depth jump broad jump, a hurdle hop depth jump broad jump. So it's different, but it's always the same concept, but it's different. And that's how they don't plateau in those. But at least I'm building. And I got my we hurdle hop all the time, tracking, taking ground contact time. That way we're working on that ground contact time. Uh, and we in our hurdle hops, I let my guys get over that hurt get off the ground in 0.15 seconds. And I just had and then say my broad jumpers, my girls need to be at least seven, six, eight. My boys need to be at least nine, nine, six. So if I don't have those qualities, it's gonna be hard to get them faster or make their agility better. But I have to build those all at the same time. My jump mat, they need to be, you know, they every time we come in, my just, there's a just jump mat. Everybody just, just jumps on it. We jump, we do seated jumps on it. We do knee jumps on it. We do jump jumps on it. We jump over hurdles, two hurdles on it. We jump over eight, eight six, we have a 12 inch, 18, 24 onto it. Jump over 18 inch hurdle, 24 inch hurdle. We just did, with dumbbells, it is always changing. And that's how you prove those explosive power quality. So my jump, my jumping is conjugate. Yeah. yeah. Again, if you do the same thing for too long, you no longer get bad at it. You don't want to get better at it. You just stand there and jump. Yeah. You're missing a lot of the key qualities that you need to build for explosive power for sprinting, jumping. My, my high jumpers, we, we do, we do, we do, I do, I do run, run up and touch the vertex. Just like, and that's basketball high jump. Cause that's their sport running up and jumping off one leg. I had what my best long jumper. He jumped twenty four feet. You put him on a jump mat. He's a he's a one foot jumper. Off two feet on the jump mat, he jumps. He jumps thirty. You jump on on a box. He's jumping fifty four, which is okay. Standing on a vertical on a vertex, he's only jumping you know thirty. You run and jump that kid. He's jumping. He, that guy can touch eleven six. Eleven six on a vertex. Mm-hmm. He's only five ten, and he, it's off one foot. And he ran in off one leg and jumped over a seventy two inch hurdle. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, that's pretty good. That uh, Cliff Revelto at uh, K- Kansas State had an equation for his high jumpers, where it was like the bigger the difference between their standing vertical and their three step off one leg, the better their high their high jump would be. And I think okay. that even if their standing vertical actually went down, that could be a quote unquote good thing in light of that high jump yeah, because yeah. of just pure reactivity. Yeah. So I, I do want to get into. The thing that really fascinates me about what you do, I mean, the thing that that I'm just like super interested in, I'm, I'm interested in all of it, obviously, but like the thing that I like, my mind's like, I want to know more about this is, okay, you talked about the, the sprinting and I've had like Grant Fowler on the show where he does like a lot of rotations with barbell lifts. Um, and I just love how you do that with the sprints. Because when I was a jumps coach, I, I would agree with you. Like I, if I'm going to coach triple jumpers, we're going to do everything but the competition triple jump pretty much in training. We're going to do all sorts of different variants of it and then when you compete you'll be you'll be better because i think about yes neural highways you know things that 
start to get to such a tight neural highway, there's no more room to grow. They say like the idea of, well, if you keep doing the same thing you've always done, you're just going to get the same results. You need to do something else. And okay. <laughs> law of accommodation, it prevails. Yeah. And so, but sprinting is like the ultimate in that because like all these other things, like, like high jump or jumping off one leg or throwing something like throwing a javelin or a baseball, like those are skills we probably all picked up at some point, a little bit later in life, relatively speaking, maybe age five, six, seven, eight, ten, whatever. Granted, we're doing that from our youth, but you can't argue, like you start walking at age one, you start learning to run at age two, like, or, you know, give or take a little bit, you start and you, you've been running your whole life. Like this is the singular skill that no matter who you are, you've been doing this and it's been hardwiring in your system. And I think that's why we talk about the speed is being the single thing that's the hardest to improve of anything. Like, like you got vertical jump, whatever. Yeah. Vertical jumps easier. It's, it is the hardest. Cause I think it's the most hardwired. And so where's the thing about speed when you're jumping, you're lifting as one event. You're sprinting. You're worried about now hundred meters for girls. It's like 50, 60 steps. Boys is four. You got to worry about mm-hmm. and the long jumper. They're taking 16, 20 steps. You got to, all those steps must be accounted for in sprinting. If there, if there's not a lot of force, you're not going to try long. You got problems. You have to account for every every step. The force protection must be good. The technique must be good. That's why sprinting is the hardest modality mm-hmm. to improve. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, but that's why I love having these conversations and how to improve it because I think it's kind of a master key almost that can filter to everything, especially once those yeah. skills become so good. And I think you know by the time a kid gets to you, maybe they're sixteen, right? Like they're already in regards to the grand right. scheme of 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 skill ability, the regard in relation to what their body can output, they're probably somewhat high compared to like a jump maybe they're like a three out of ten jumping because they just haven't done it very much but you've been sprinting your whole life and so you have to create these things so so you do you start with the the like the sleds then going into uphill when do you start bringing in these okay we're going to go today we're going to go downhill today we're going to do an uphill time today we're going to do this time how often a week are you sprinting and then what what factors feed into how you're rotating those elements okay well so usually the first month, we kind of, as you said, we kind of do that with the hill and the sled. And now I look at, now there's two types of sprinters. There's stride light guys and there's, there's stride frequency guys. So my stride length guys, they, they use their slow frequency guys. I need to actually kind of almost fix, I need, to, I, make their, I need to create more legs foot speed as my kids call them. So at that point, I will, you know, we'll start to go uphill. And actually we'll start to we'll start to go uphill and take it and take the weights off go uphill. And then we'll start to do we'll do more downhill with those kids. Because those guys already have this they, they have the ability to they they are called gliders, I call them gliders. But what so at that point I actually have them go more in the direction of downhill. I used to wait to the end, but now I kind of feed it in every once every two weeks. And if it's really severe, like that girl I was telling you about, I have just I'm all in for three weeks, three or four weeks at a time. Now, if, now if, they, if they are short striders, I believe the resistance in the hill, because you're, that post your train is going to is going to give them more, give give them more power, more propulsion. So I keep them those people on. They'll do downhills too because everybody needs foot speed. Mm-hmm. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. it's a combination of both. You got to build both at the same time. But they'll be more on the hill and the sled, and more ankle weight stuff. And I put those people in the wickets because those people, they need this stride long. So I need to slowly 
gradually space them out to to bring them to a, a long like for, I have a girl Maddie Kelly and I've trained her for about a year and a half and uh, she she her turnover look it's incredible but you know she can she probably strides about five six foot when I first got her and I said man let me just get her stride longer you know so I just basically the sled and wickets was her key so she started out running a one she ran a 129 fly 10 and just I got her wickets to 66 then 610 then 72 and she teases it now now take like wickets away she didn't stride that long but she, she, she can use it in 10 yards. She can take four and a half on a good day steps. And then uh, in meters, she's probably taking five steps. And that's how she got the 91. But before she was taking seven, eight steps. So that's, that's how I kind of approached to. And uh, it, it, then again, again, she's getting a little bit of downhill, but not as much as the, the short riders. Interesting. But the long striders. They are just long and gapy. They need the down. But that, the, kid, yeah, yeah, yeah. the kid I told you about that went from a 139, he had a long stride. He was great to the wickets. He needed the downhills and the sled. And 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 that that took his turnover to another level. And voila, he got here from running uh, 14 miles an hour to 19 miles an hour. Or, or about 20 now. 20 yeah. now. So that's why I kind of diagnosed both. Yeah. And once, get to certain, once they become pretty high level, I just... It's almost like I'm doing it. They get a t- little t- taste of something maybe once every two weeks of rotation. Yeah. Once every, they're almost the they almost are good at they they stride long and fast. They're balanced. I can kind of just kind of just do one maybe once a week or every, once every two weeks I rotate those. I like that, man. I like um I hadn't heard too many people talk about using sleds and hill to improve stride length before, but it makes perfect sense to me. And also in the sense of I think of it in terms of hip level like when you're on the sled or running uphill your hips are actually have to be a little bit lower to the ground yeah and uh one of the recent adarian bar webinars we put together was talking about adarian was talking about how the people who have longer strides that actually comes from hips being a little bit it's counterintuitive because we used to think oh long strides super tall super bouncy that doesn't work yeah triple jump but not sprinting and one of the prime people to look at was allison felix like whose stride length is very long as per her height and she runs with lower hips and more slightly more bent leg on the contact but that low hip allows a huge shin drop translation and i think about and because i feel this myself like when i'm and i've seen it too in the same like i had a i remember a very distinctive a long jumper I was training when I was coach. I was like 26 and I had no idea at the time, but we were doing a lot of hills in the fall and he was getting way faster. And I was like, oh, this is all endurance stuff. Why is he getting faster? Like, you know, in my mind, GPP <laughs> endurance, but he was the, the king of the boundy stride, you know? And so that hill was just, was, was giving him what he didn't have. And I always feel that for myself too. And I'm doing a lot of hill work. It just, my stride feels so powerful and maybe, yeah, like low, the, the push, the low hip, all that stuff together. I, I really like that contrast where, yeah, versus, and I like, I agree with you. You said, you says, well, everyone needs a downhill from no matter who you are, just because it's so intense, right? Let me tell you, just, nobody's running at a point eight, oh, 10 meters per, you know, 10 yard fly, like you're saying, or a point, even a point nine, hardly. So they all need turnover. Yeah. So that's yeah. how, that's how I kind of address that, you know. Do you <laughs> do it? Everybody's all, everybody but just actually average speed. So I, I, they all need that turnover. That's why they need a little, they need, that's medicine. 
It's mm. a little medicine. Yeah, it is. It's a medicine. Yes, it is. It's it's like if you're you want to be fast, that you need that medicine every now and then. And well, I would like to talk about yeah, the dosage you use every two weeks. But do you? I want to ask you like I know you do downhill. Maybe that's because is it convenience? That's just like a downhill area next to your gym. But do you believe have have any toad over speed or is that like a thing too? Or what's your what's your take there? I used to like. Well, I don't like towing because now you have to. Need to have an athlete that's somewhat faster, a little faster there, or similar speed, and they have, and they both have to be at the same. They have to be both relatively fresh. So you know, if one pulls one too fast, they're going to be on their face. I saw a girl, mm-hmm. you know, tear ACL. She got pulled so wow. fast. She felt that kind of spooked me. So I just stuck to downhills. Uh, so I, 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 towing is great, but I, I, I just you know I like. I think downhills is it's more controlled, you know, mm. and a lot of coaches say it distorts form, but that can easily be fixed. I can fix that pretty quickly, you know, yeah, just get it back yes. to get the mechanics. But, you know, towing is, when I get it, if I get it, if I get a 1080, then I might start towing. There you go. Nice and controlled. <laughs> we'll hit up 1080 here at this podcast and we'll, uh, yeah. we'll get, we'll get some, some case studies for you. Uh, so that I, I love that though. And I love too that that medicine, that's like that's a quote that's gonna stick with me, man. I make it takes me back to a study that um I read. I, I think I think in training modalities, if you're lifting, like this prolipins chart, that that tells you how much lift you should do and how much what percentage. And and Charlie and you know James Smith and a lot of sprints coaches, there's only so much volume you can handle. That's all medicine. You need to take it. But if you take too much, it'll poison yes. you. Medicine's good. If you take too much medicine, it'll poison you. You don't take it. You don't take enough medicine. You won't get better. Yep. Even too much water can be a problem <laughs> at some point. You know. Exactly. Um, yeah. No, I, the good stuff. Yeah, because I, I was I was going back to a study about it was like there was a group. It was a training group. I don't even know what the population. I don't think it was untrained people. You know, I think there was somewhat trained individuals, but they had the group that did just flat sprinting, just uphill, just down. No, it was a group that did just uphill, just downhill, and then a group that did both uphill and downhill in the same block. And the group that did the okay. uphill and downhill got substantially faster than the group that just did one or the other. And so there you go. I think about your system and I think there are so many overspeed haters like that. That had turned me off to overspeed for a while because people find a way to hate. Like, yeah, like you said, it makes you overstride. It does this to your you know, point of contact. It does. That. I mean, you the body's smart. It's going to figure it out. You know, like as long as you're not doing it every single day and as long as you're getting back to something else that contrasts it, right, that pulls back to the other center point. Clearly, the results the body, speak for themselves. The body adapts. It's an amazing adapter. It's, it's, it's always trying to survive. Survival, and you put, you put demands upon it, it, it adapts to survive. You can, once you get off those downhills, it'll adapt back to normal. Yes. And people don't realize that. They don't, they don't, realize, they don't realize that. And I've never had no issues with you know, stra- muscle strains or pulls, you know, because Us- usually they shut down on the body. And I, I don't do a ton of those too. The volume is always very low. Yeah. If you do a hot track volume again, you poison yourself. Yep. <laughs> How many do you do in a session? If you're going to do like, you're doing 20s downhill or something or, or 10s Maybe downhill. Three to four tops. Mm-hmm. Now, like Danny Smith, she's a freak. She did eight. <laughs> Jeez. But High she was sore for a week now. She I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, she learned a lesson, and they self correct them. Like, okay, you're right. I can only do a couple of things. <laughs> do you ever do? You know, the, so, do you ever do the calf weights with downhill? That'd be gnarly. Yeah, huh? yes, I have. Oh yeah. I was thinking 100%. of recovery times for a week. That might be a that'd be a pretty serious one. 
I have. I'm crazy, man. I'm, they call me the mad scientist. I just I experiment everything because you don't know if it works mm-hmm. or you know, what limits you can push unless you try things. Yeah. And if I was in a, in a public sector, I wouldn't be able to do these experiments and have these numbers. Mm-hmm. I, I there would there'd always be some conflict, you know. So, but I always tried crazy things because some of the some of the crazy things they come out to be great things. Yeah. So so That's every. So off season, sorry if I keep, I'm just, I'm, I know our time is short and I'm like, I want to keep going on this. So generally speaking, generally, I know it's always different for everyone, right? But like, generally speaking, you wouldn't do downhill more than every other week. So like every other week, maybe every three weeks or something like that, or. That's like the severe case. Like I got that down, that cost country runner, you know, her fibers are super slow. Mm-hmm. Her intermediate are all slow. So I got to revert those yeah. over so, you know, yeah, normally I wouldn't do it all the time like that, but she was, that was a special case. Got you know? it. You know, and maybe if I do, yeah, just here and there, this is here and there, you know, some coaches, I know some people that did six weeks in a row, which is, I said, I've done that before, right before I, I, I had a kid football player, he's at Pitt. I did him five weeks in a row and he was a phenomenal. Hmm. He, he was, he was phenomenal. He was coming off an ACL and he needed to get his speed back for college. He was a division one football player. And uh, I just kept on grass. It, was, it worked out great. He ran a four five. He was like a four nine. He had come off ACL surgery. Got on a four five pretty quickly. Do you do like one, like how many? I know conjugate right. Louis Simmons is like a, a force day, a dynamic day, right? Or max effort dynamic. <laughs> what does your sprint look like on the week? Like a weekly setup typically. I follow Charlie Francis vertical integration. So my high days, you know, my my high day are my max my leg days. So uh, my max effort day is a sprint day. And then my dynamic, dynamic effort day is a sprint day. The other days were, I, I my philosophy with this, there's seven days a week. I want to get most I can on those high intensity, high neuro, neurological days. So we have five days to rest. Mm, yeah. So, and, and, and the sled actually is good because it limits the, you know, the soreness. Yes. <laughs> that, that allows me to lift and create more force production in the gym. If I was regular sprinting, I had to be very more careful because now you're competing against the same resources. Yeah. So I'd be, I, we, that's why we do very little regular sprinting. But if I can raise their squat and their deadlift up, they're going to come back the next week sprinting crazy. And that's why, that's how I can knock their time down pretty quickly. I mean, I've had a I had a girl go from 120 and a 10 yard fly to to Shannon Todd. She's a, she's a jumper. She went from uh, in eight weeks. She went from 120 to one flat. Her squat went from 145 to 300 pounds. And she went to college. They never seen nobody get that strong and that fast yeah. <laughs> in that short amount of time. But you got to You got to know when you, you have to be smart with the programming. That max effort is key. It stimulates the nerve. When you're maxing out, your nervous system. You're slow, you're fast, your meter fibers are all firing quickly. That's what you want to have happen in the sprint. And you're fixing your weaknesses in. You go back to the sprints. Now you're working the opposite end. All those fibers are working as fast as two at higher speeds. And they, you know, against no, against no time limit, you're, you're going to get fast at that point. So uh, I was trying to figure out this because if I'm doing downhill, if I'm sprinting twice a week and I'm doing downhill yes. about every other for the most part, unless I'm a special case, what do you do? And you don't flat sprint that often. I mean, is a typical yeah, week like is a typical week would be two sled days or an uphill day and a sled day, and then the next week you so, do flat, like how yes. does that how would that go? Yep. So like so like so say like the first day, the first week of the month. Yeah, we'll do you know we'll max out. 
let's say we max out a deadlift and then we will sled sprint that day and then we'll clock one sprint, we'll clock some sled sprints and then we'll clock one, one, one regular sprint. Then we'll come back dynamic for day, do the sled again. Three, clock some sled sprints, clock one free sprint. Come back the next week, max out squat. Then we'll come out and then we'll kind of, we'll do, okay, then we'll, then we'll maybe go on the hill. Got it. And then we'll come back the same day, dynamic effort day, come on the, come on the hill again. And then we're doing pure hill that time, clocking, clocking flies, maybe 20 yard flies that time. Then, then the third week, maybe we're doing, uh, we're doing some other sort of deadlift, maybe a, a rack pull. A rack pull is very good. My, my, one of my good sprinters, we just did rack pulls. And because our glute was weak, that made mm-hmm. it faster. And then um, we did downhill that week. <laughs> then we come back the next week and then we hit, we come back and hit the sled again. And then, and then maybe then, then, then the next week we're maxing out deadlift again. Now we're doing, we're doing uh, ankle weights and, and, and sometimes I actually contrast, right. I, we may do a sled, sled hill. I may do the modalities, do two different sled and hill in the same day and clock it. Okay. Got it. So I'm doing sled and hill in the same day. And I may, I may, I may do ankle weights and uphill in the same day. And I make contrast to a regular uphill sprint in the same day. Oh, got it. Th- those two are contrasting each other if they're on the same day. So as the reps go on, we actually go down to we take we should weight the resistance. Got it. Got it. So so you start with the sled, and then every set you're just taking a plate off the sled or something like that. And yep, 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 yep. yep. And then are you are, then, are you doing serially then, like sled the hill or or or? Uh, in, now, in here's, another thing, here's another thing too that I was scared to do because uh, like. When you, if you run with the sled and you contrast off it, you have, you have your over, it's over speed right there. So I actually do that and go downhill sometimes. We'll do the sled and we'll contrast and run it downhill right after that. Hmm. And you get even more over speed <laughs> in the same day. So we'll do sled, rest about five minutes, go downhill. Wow. Come in, rest, you know, do some other things exercises come out sled go down again right there and it gets a it's a great carryover but, but i was i was worried about that they might pull muscles they're going so fast but it had never seen no effects like that robust the body that's is robust <laughs> the body is robust it's robust but it, i've seen a great that's how i did with that girl that went from a 139 to 106 and it wasn't you know she was she was stuck at 120 115 i did the sled i went downhill and she was flying <laughs> Man, that's awesome. I love and, it. And that's that runway speed is gonna help her triple jump one hundred percent. So it's kinda like if I if I just say what's the what's the meat and potatoes? Like I like Rafe Kelly, who's been on the show, has said like the whole food is movement and then training is a supplement. Kind of your whole food, if you will, for speed is kind of the, the hills and sleds. That's like the bigger portion, and then the the downhill and then the flat is like a little bit like less as needed by case. It, if I had to generalize it, it, things, I like to generalize things. Those are the homework. The hills, the downhill. The, that's the homework. The test is the flat one. Got it. It's like you, you go to you go to class and you got calculus homework and you got this you got derivatives, all that stuff. The actual <laughs> test is the flat one, and you don't need to test that much in college in school. You yeah. only take tests every so often. Don't remind do me of calculus class, please. <laughs> Bad memories. <laughs> you do your homework and the, you do well in the test. You just if you just do the test all the time. The flatland running, it's, it's going to be hard to get better. You can get better, obviously, but it's harder. I, I hear you. How often are you <laughs> testing flat? Like, okay, 10-yard fly, like once a month then about? Like to that big, like, all right, let's go for this PR on flat. Like how often is that typically happening? 
Yeah, probably three days, three times a month. Three times a month. Okay. Three, three or four times a month. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Would you yeah. say for an advanced athlete, it might happen less often versus a beginner or just kind of? Yeah, yeah, because at, when, the higher you get. Yeah. <laughs> well, to, I think that, no. The higher, the higher you get, you got to be careful. They're, they're, they're applying so much force. It, it, it's tough. They get more fatigued. So, yeah, I'd say less, a little bit less, maybe yeah. once, once, twice a month. And the level of improvement is little. Yeah. At it, a certain point, once you get to you know, a, a 0.90 or 0.88 meter fly, to take the point eight seven or eight six is tough, mm-hmm. and it might be it might be demoralizing to get tested all the time. Okay, I, I was eight seven now, and I'm running ninety one. What the hell is going on? Mm-hmm. It's mentally, psychologically damaging to him. Big time, and that's one thing I will actually. Maybe we can kind of close out talking about this because the thing I another thing I really like about your system is is continual PRs, and it's funny because your weight yeah. system and transfer is kind of very much like Grant Fowler's. You know, switching weekly and just like. You're always able to come yeah. in and mentally be like, I think I can PR in this today, right? Like, so tell me about the power of PRs and how that works in your system and the whole system. Absolutely. So, like, it go. I just started out. I remember at the beginning, it was just lifting. Okay, I got a squat. I got a deadlift. I got a bench. But then I said, and now I love jumping so much. So then I just, you know, I added these. I have a list of a, probably 500 different jump variations. <laughs> PR, you can find PR four to 500 ways. I've had kids that did jumps and they've never, they, I had, I had a girl, a long jumper. She, she's been with me for four years. She did a new jump. She's never done before. She goes, I, I, did, I see people do this. I've never done this. And, but if they get that PR there, it might not be a regular jump, but they're happy about it. And it, it puts them in a psychologically winning mentality. And if they get that, I have a kid that he might not, his, his downhill, his regular sprint might, might not go up right away. We test it a lot, but it might be staying the same. But his sled sprint went went up. It went down. I'm sorry. He got a PR on that. He's happy. He it's not psychological damage. He has he, he won a victory. And then we do a jump map. I, I got a girl that she was stuck at 22, just standing and jumping. So we had her jump over a hurdle, 18 inch hurdle to the mat. She got she went up in that. It wasn't her record. But then it, she got a PR. She's happy, and then it just puts in the mindset. And then eventually they just they, they get that. I believe it. It creates a dopamine, mm-hmm. and that dopamine. It's like and that adrenaline gets yep. up. They it just carries over to. They just start breaking records. They're, that's why I tell my kids. I go, "What do we do?" And they finish the sentence. We break records in here, and that's what we do. We want to break a record. It's a small record. 0.01 in a jump. 0.01 in a sprint. Two and a half. We can just do that. They're happy. That's all they all happens. What I do is be happy. That's why that's why when I first got my gym, I got the equipment, I got strength equipment and jump equipment, just a vertex. I couldn't test, but once, but after that, I, I got the stuff to test because athletes like to see numbers. If they can see numbers, they know where they're at, they know how fast they are, they know how strong they are with the tendo, and they know how they know how high they jump for the, for the jump man. And at all times, so if they can, if they can just get one PR, it is psychologically the best thing. It just carries over. They get, and then when they go to their sport practice, they're in a win. They're in a happy attitude. They're going to dominate. It's such a big deal. And we have competitions too. It creates competition. Once it's iron sharpens iron. It, you know, it, it, they compete with themselves, and they keep with others. And, they, and then when they keep with others, that's even the best thing. I have competition. I have a competition Thursday. We sprint and jump. Man, it, 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 that when they have those days, they always a PR get a PR on that day. 
so huge to have your athletes to have a lot of records and a lot of measurables for your record for the athletes to, to to chase. And that's the best way because that, at least they can get one of them. And that's the best thing to do as a trainer or a coach. I agree. I love it. I think no matter who who you coach, you have powerlifters, sprinters, cross country, swimmers, like to have this, all these ways you can PR. I think there's so much power in that. So I'm glad you share that with us. I got a record sheet that's three pages long. It even goes down to triceps. They may just get something as simple like a tricep 10 rep record. It may be. Walk out with something. I walked out with something today. Yeah. It may be an inverse curl record. Like I used to do 40 pounds of my inverse curl. Now I'm done to 35. They're happy. And then eventually that's going to help them run faster. Yes. Eventually there's another record going to carry over. Yep. Dopamine. Yep. (laughs) I got a, you know, I got simple things like an ab record. (laughs) Yeah. It's meaningful. Yeah. It means something, dude. And if they if they beat all these records, they'll be a phenomenal athlete after it's all said and done. It's all said and done. They beat they mastered, they mastered the whole mod all the modalities, all the machines in my gym, all the all the testing equipment in my gym. They'll be phenomenal. It just it takes a process to, to ratchet up their records mm-hmm. and beat these PRs all the time. Yeah, for and sure. That's, why, that's why people people go. How often do you test? I test. We test every session, every rep. Every lift, every jump, every sprint, we're testing. Awesome. And, and, I, and they aren't, if they aren't, if they aren't doing good, I go, hey, you got a game yesterday. There's nothing you can do. And usually, my kids, they, 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 my kids improve so much. If they played a basketball game the day before, they'll actually they'll tie the record. And that they never go down. They usually tie it or maybe a little below. But that means that shows. Uh, I go, what did you do yesterday? You played basketball. Okay. <laughs> but then they know they want to come in fresh, so they can actually improve a little mm-hmm. bit. Super conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff, Brandon. Well, hey, I think that that's a good thing to close on. I think that's a really important concept and it was really cool hearing about your, your, your sprint, your training philosophy and all these things. And I'm going to go run me some downhills this week. I'll let you know how I did. <laughs> so I appreciate that, man. Hey, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you. This is awesome. Thanks for tuning in to another show. Man, just an awesome nuts and bolts talk on speed. Love those chats. Always taking something away from them. So glad to have Brandon on. And uh, yeah, thanks for being here, tuning in. If you want to help us out, you can leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're listening to. We appreciate your reviews, your feedback. Uh, Or if there's another guest uh, that you want to hear on the show or or someone you want to hear more of, uh, you can definitely let me know. Check us out on um, social media. Send me a message on Instagram. My email's on the website, justflysports.com. And before we leave, we wanted to give one last shout out to our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology. They've been a longtime sponsor of this show, and we are thankful and grateful for their support. So check out what they have going on at simplyfaster.com. All right, we'll catch you guys next week. Have a good one.